0: Proverbs 30 today, and we're going to talk about truly trusting the Lord. So as as we have raised four children, there are a lot of memories that, that, you know, we have accumulated over the course of our lives. Some of them because they're just chaotic, and if you have kids, you understand the chaos of raising kids. Some of them fade away, you, you lose track of them, but others... Whether because they were funny or or hard or whatever, they burn into your memory and they become part of the family story. The things that we talk about at, you know, celebrations and and home videos come up and whatever. And so today I want to talk about one of those incidents that's really burned into my memory. And uh, it was a time uh, when Kara was, was very, very little. She's probably less than two years old. And our family knows the story really well because it, it says a lot about who we are and, and who I am. Um, she had slipped and fallen and split the bottom of her chin open, a pretty good gash on the bottom of her chin. And she was just little. She was just like, I don't know, almost two years old. And so it was bleeding. And, and you can imagine the, the the freak out that happens in a little kid's mind when there's all this blood everywhere and, and it hurts. And you know you can see in the the faces of your parents that they're a little freaked out, too, because they're like, "What is? what are we going to do? So we, we scooped her up. We took her to the hospital. She was going to need stitches in her chin. And, and uh, so we were in the emergency room. And that's, that's pretty scary for a little kid. You're going into this big hospital. There's all these doctors and nurses. Uh, it's a very different environment. It's not a place you're familiar with. And so we rolled into this emergency room. And, you know, I, I can feel that, that Kara is very upset she's very tense about what's happening here unfortunately for her I'm also very tense in hospitals I do not like hospitals like at all they just I don't know I just not my constitution it's not who I am I have been known to go white in you know kind of slide down walls and things like that in hospitals before I remember one time there was a kid on a a youth group outing who I had to take the emergency room on this retreat and uh Uh, as the doctor is trying to address the the giant gash in his knee, he looked over at me and he said, "Uh, your youth pastor doesn't look like he's doing too well. (laughs) So I'm not really good in hospital. So Kara's getting ready to go back and they're like, one of the parents has to go back with her to where they're going to do the stitches. And so we looked at Kara and we said, who do you want to go with you? And she said, Daddy. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> so we did. We, we went back together. Her and I went back to the, to the room together. And they had to put her in this contraption that kind of wraps around you and holds you down and whatever. Kara never cried one time. She was just as quiet as could be. She was scared to death. But she didn't cry at all. But what she did do, I was on her right-hand side and the doctors were on her left-hand side. She was looking up at me with these giant brown eyes. I don't know if she blinked for the, whatever, however long it was, just fixed on me. And I'm standing over her, and I'm saying, thin- whatever I can say as a dad to be a good dad, you're doing great, it's going to be okay, this is not too bad, like whatever I could think of to say, and she just stared at me. And st- she didn't say anything, she didn't cry, she didn't watch, she didn't anything, she just looked at me the whole time. And I had, underneath of the little thing, her little hand stuck out, and I had a hold of her hand, and I'm just looking at her. Then when they got done, then I went over and collapsed against the wall. (laughs) What it it reminds me of is that all of us face times in our life that just scare us to death. To the very core of our soul, we are afraid. We don't know how this is going to turn out. We don't know what's going to come from this. So we're just paralyzed. We are a, a, a giant storm in our soul. And I will tell you, Life can take your breath away like that. Life can knock you off your feet. There are so many reasons to freak out. And if you don't know of enough, lots of other helpful people will give you more. You can read books and magazines and blogs online and you can watch news broadcasts and and all kinds of things will tell you if you're not freaking out enough, they can help you freak out more. But as I think about that day at the hospital, I think about how one fact can make a difference in the storms of life. One fact, Kara fixed her eyes on me as her dad. And she went through it in a different way. I will tell you right now, knowing my daughter the way I know her, if she had looked the other direction and had seen the doctors and especially the needle, it would have been over. She didn't look that way. She looked at me. And it changed not what was happening, but it changed how she experienced it. And I will say for you and I, We have that same choice. What are your eyes on in this life? And if you don't know, then I'll tell you this. What is your experience? Because if you live in anxiety and stress, if you live in worry and fear, it's probably because you don't have your eyes on your father. It's probably because you've forgotten how big, how great, how loving he is. In that, when you're looking eye to eye with your little girl, there is a communication there. There is an understanding there. There is a knownness there. And some of that knownness was, dad, you're really big and I'm really small. And I know you'll take care of me. I know you're not going anywhere. I know you won't let anything bad happen to me. There was a trust in that moment. I'm saying to you, where are your eyes? Do you have the peace and the hope and the steadiness that come from keeping your eyes fixed on your Father? We become believers, we become Christians by trusting the Lord, putting our faith on purpose in God. No one becomes a Christian by accident. No one is born a Christian. If you think that's how you get to be a Christian, let me just share this with you. You become a Christian by deliberately putting your faith in In Jesus Christ. Letting him come and be your savior. Recognizing you cannot solve your sin problem on your own. You are desperate for his rescue. That's how you become a Christian. And so you don't become a Christian without understanding this concept of trusting in the Lord. So it may sound weird for me to ask you whether you trust the Lord. Because of course you do. If you're a Christian, of course I do. That's how I got to be a Christian. But what I'm saying is, are you truly trusting him today with your life with what you see coming with what you hear about what's going on with what might be happening in your job with what might be happening in your marriage with what you think your kids are involved in with what thinks is going to happen with your money are you truly trusting the lord or is your life all kinds of chaos Do you choose to trust him? I'm not saying that when you trust the Lord, everything's fine and you just go through life with a smile on your face. I'm not saying that. Kara did not have a smile on her face when she was getting her stitches. But you have a choice about what's going to define where your life is going. Today's proverb talks about what it means to truly trust the Lord, to live recognizing my natural tendency to stop trusting him. And so maybe at one time, you had placed your trust, your hope in the Lord. Yes, God's got me. But that was then. The choice is the same now. Will you trust him today? Will you give him your life today? And so we're going to look at a few verses here. We're going to start at verse 5 of chapter 30. And we're just going to look at this idea about trusting the Lord and what it will do in our life if we do. So verse 5 says this. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, this is not a unique description of God. God is our shield. God is our refuge. We hear that over and over again in scripture. But God, as a refuge and a shield, seeing him as that is a really powerful truth. Any given day, if you don't know this, let me just fill you in, any given day can look overwhelmingly deadly, can it? You can find yourself in a crisis without ever seeing it coming. And it can be a dramatic crisis. Just because it's large doesn't mean it was foreseeable. Sometimes these things blow up in our face. And so your best plans, all of your hard work, all of your good intentions can wind up shattered and destroyed. Ever been there? When we measure our ability to protect ourselves against the danger that life brings, we quickly discover that we are dramatically underprepared. And if you don't, if you tell the truth to yourself, if you don't lie to yourself, you recognize that right now. That you are dramatically underprepared for what life could and will bring your way. So what do we do about that? Where do we go with that? Well, the Bible says here, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every Christian, every believer has this reality to anchor their soul that God is our shield and God is our refuge. But it says you have to take refuge in him. Did you see that? In other words, God just doesn't come protect you. God protects those who take refuge in him. So maybe you doubt God's watch care. Maybe you doubt his protection. Maybe you doubt the fact that he looks over and watches over your life. Maybe it means that because you do, you can't accept trials or struggles because you haven't chosen to take refuge in God. What I'm talking about is a conversation in your soul. When life gets hard, when life gets scary, when you are all kinds of upset because you're a human being and life is upsetting, what conversation do you have in your soul? You have a choice about whether you're going to put wood on the fire of panic or whether you're going to get out the fire hose and put water on the fire of panic which way are you going to go the wood is yeah that's right oh my word i never thought about that what am i going to do and what would it feel like and what would happen if and what would down that path we go but the conversation you're invited to have is a conversation that when panic comes you go yes I, i understand all that and that could be awful but you know what the lord is my refuge and my shield and i trust him i know he will watch over me. I know he will not let anything happen that is a bad thing. I know that not bad in the way that it would feel bad, but bad in the way that it wouldn't be used for an eternal purpose. It wouldn't be used for something amazingly good. It wouldn't be a representation of God's goodness. I know that God will always do good because he is a shield. Now, a refuge and a shield, let's think about these two pictures just for a second. A refuge is a place to go when it, like for example, when a storm hits. The purpose of a refuge is not to stop the storm, right? When you go into the refuge, it doesn't poof, the storm's gone. The storm rages on. And as a matter of fact, as the storm rages on, you might get wet. You might... Have, feel the wind blowing through the door and what, like, in other words, you are not completely exempt from the storm because of the refuge. Sometimes our understanding about God, and he seems to be a refuge and a shield, but he never has a, never comes through like that for me, is because we misunderstand what it means. God did not promise to save you from the storm. He promised to save you through the storm. He promised that you could endure it. He promised that he would be with you. He promised that he would be a shelter in the storm, not a rescue or a teleportation out of the storm. Same thing with shield. We sometimes we think of, you know, he's a shield, and so nothing ever can get to me. Well, think about a guy who used a shield in battle. What was that experience like? A guy, you know. What's the shield doing? Is the guy in the battle? Is he taking on blows? Is he giving blows? It could even hurt through the shield. The point is, it protects the the vitalness of you. It protects you that hopefully you'll be able to live coming out of it, the shield. An effective shield is not something that stops you from having to fight or stops you from being in danger. It's something that helps you stay safe through the danger. It doesn't pull you out of the battle. It allows you to stay in the battle. So when you think about God as our refuge and shield, don't think about it as peace comes when everything's calm. Think about it as peace comes, although everything's not calm. In the middle of the storm. And so when he talks about he's our refuge, it talks about how he takes us through it. Now those two things, shield and refuge, are tied in this verse to the word of God. Every word of God is flawless. And So what that means is our shield and our refuge, the way we take refuge and the way we take up our shield, is that we look at the words of God and we connect the promises of God in his word to my trust, to my belief, to my hope. So that when God says, when Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, he started by saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Now think about that night when he said that. Don't let your heart be troubled. What's he saying? It's about to get nuts. Things are about to go crazy. Tomorrow I'm going to die. You're all going to be totally freaked out. Don't let your heart be troubled. The invitation was life's going to go crazy you don't have to life's going to get nuts you don't need to be what you need to do is remember this and then he says i go to repair a place for you and if i go i will come again and receive you so where i am you will be too tomorrow it's going to look like tonight later on it's going to look like we're separated and there's no hope of us ever being back together again right so what did jesus do he gave them a promise he gave them a word and the word was i'm going to come back and we're going to be together again don't worry don't let your heart be troubled. What it looks like is not what it is. What it seems like is not what it is. What it is is what I've told you it will be. And you can rest in that. You can hope in that. You can trust in that. The question is, will you? Or will you let yourself be troubled? Certainly that night, the disciples went out and went crazy. But Jesus said to them, don't let your heart be troubled. And it says the words of God are flawless. The word flawless there is the word about refining Uh, precious metals like gold or silver. And the idea is that they were heated, they were tested, and every impurity was driven out of them so that they were as pure as could be. And so when it says the word of God is flawless, it means this, the word of God is absolutely true. You don't have to worry about, is it right, is it wrong? It's true. Every word of God is absolutely true. But it also gives this implication like in our lives, we've tested out God's word in in the heat of our lives. Maybe some things that we misunderstood about God got burned off by the heat, but the true stuff stuck around. The true stuff endured. Have you ever gone through that? Where you were like, well, I thought, God, God you were going to do this. I thought you were going to be like that. I thought you were going to go. And then it turned out, oh, I misunderstood something. It got driven away. But other things turned out to be exactly true that I could rely on, even though there were moments where it felt like it wasn't true. It was. It was precious. It was reliable. And because God's word is flawless, you are safe. To trust in it. And so the invitation here is an active trust in what God has said, in what is written in the Word of God, meaning I am choosing to trust in His promises, in the descriptions that are given in the Word about who God is, about what He's like, about the underlying meanings about what He's saying. And so taking refuge then includes having a regular, effective, purposeful interaction with God's words. You can't take refuge in a truth you don't know. Does that make sense? You can't, like, I'm going to take hope in something. Just, I guess, I'm going to take hope. The point is, God has said some things to you and you can bank on them. But you've got to know what He said to you in order for it to do anything for you. Does that make sense? So because of that, the idea is taking refuge means that you choose in your life to find and develop effective and deliberate ways to pour these words into your soul, to have fuel for the conversation inside of you that needs to happen when life gets crazy. So how do you do that? Man, there's lots of ways. I think you could think of a bunch of ways. What you're doing right now is a great way. I will tell you this. One of the things God said was that we should get together together and learn and worship together as a family. So we do that every Sunday. We do it because Jesus rose on Sunday morning, so we get together on Sunday morning. I would say to you, put an anchor down in your soul about Sunday morning because the world will offer you lots of other opportunities on Sunday morning, won't they? Don't buy it because what they're selling doesn't get you anything. Even if your child becomes a professional athlete in whatever sporting event is on Sunday morning, Is that your greatest hope for their life? Is it? So why would I surrender pouring God's word into my child's life or to my life and my soul as mom and dad for something that's not going to last something that's not going to be meaningful why would I but the world will offer it to you all the time the pressure will be on you all the time this is what's got to go this is I just need a little more time so let's just push off the voluntary thing listen I'm telling you this is something that feeds your soul it can't be negotiable but there's lots of ways to do it not just on Sunday morning You can listen to music that repeats the truth. You can dig into God's word every single day. There are online, there are devotionals everywhere. We got little booklets out here that are devotionals. You can find all kinds of ways to read God's word every day and you don't have to just open the Bible and read something. You can get on the Bible app and it'll give you all kinds of selection of every day. When you open it up, it'll give you a devotional. You can get onto BibleGateway.com and it will give you the opportunity to have devotionals emailed to you every single day. So you don't have to do a lot, but you have to do something if you want the word of God to be flawless, to be proven, to be the source of your refuge and shield. So what I'm saying is the choice is yours. You can go through life worried about every lightning bolt, worried about every sword that falls, worried about every battle that's coming your way, every storm that's on its way to you. Or you can live at rest in your soul because you truly choose today to trust the Lord. But Choosing to trust the Lord involves some practical steps of choosing to feed on the word of God. Do you want refuge or not? Let's keep going because verse 6 down to the first part of verse 8, keep on this theme about God's words. It says this, Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Two things I ask of you. So truly trusting the Lord means I know him as my refuge and shield. That comes from his word. And the next verse says, pay attention to what he says because his word is exactly right. God's word is what we need. And and the point in this verse is no more, no less. It's exactly right. So that makes sense. God says what he meant. God's God. He, He made sure that all the things that he said were the right things to say. He told us everything we needed to know. So every single word are are the promises, are the truth, are the, the food that your soul needs. Not just the ones you like, not just the ones you've read so far, but the Word of God. So that means you have an opportunity to grow in your ability to stand behind a shield and to finally take refuge. Because God has a lot that He has said to us, and all of it hasn't been explored by you yet. The case in point here is do not add to God's words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Don't add to it. Meaning, don't try to make God say what he hasn't said. Sometimes we don't mean to, but we put words in God's mouth. We twist what he said. We just talked about him as a shield, and and we talked about it as sometimes we say God's a shield, meaning you should keep me from danger instead of through danger. It's twisting the promise instead of understanding it. Right. Other times we're so fascinated by looking for something that is fresh and new, something that maybe was hidden and we're eager to dive into a mystery. We look for deeper truths. We look for conspiracy theories. We look for hidden codes in the Bible. Right. So we're trying to make it say more than it says. We have this natural human tendency to take what's given to us and to try to expand it. But when it comes to God's word, we have to be careful to hold it in the highest regard. Making sure that our authority as we speak is because it's God's words, not because it's what I want God to say. So don't try to make God's word say what you want it to say. Lots of people do. Well, the Bible promises me I'll be rich. The Bible promises me that I'll be healed. The Bible promises me that I'll be happy. The Bible doesn't say that, right? The Bible says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what it says. It says, So don't try to make it say, and don't take away from what it says. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. The Bible says, Jesus is the only way. The, The Bible says these things. The Bible has commentary to make about things that we're talking about today, about whether life is precious or life is cheap, about sexuality and whether immorality is okay or not. The Bible has things to say. These words are true, and if I reject them, if I live outside of them, then I also reject my opportunity to take up my shield and my refuge sometimes the storms that are in your life that are beating you up are of your own making because god gave you hope god gave you a path god gave you a way, and you said no thanks i'll do this this will be better for me and then you're like god i thought you were going to save me he's like i thought i was too that's what i did all this for why don't you trust me why are your eyes everywhere else so the word of God is true. And by the way, we do not need to take up the word of God and try to make it stronger. The word of God is exactly what it needs to be. So many times we try to make it stronger, and, I, and we've all had lots and lots of examples of that in our life. But you can go to two examples in the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, when Satan came to tempt Eve, he said, did God really say, don't eat of this tree? right?" And then Eve said, yeah, we shouldn't eat it and we shouldn't touch it. Right? And so God didn't say, don't touch it. He said, don't eat it. So we try to make it stronger. Well, this, if this is right, then this is righter. Okay? No, it's, it's exactly what it said. The Pharisees in the New Testament that Jesus had so much to say about were people who took the word of God literally, took the commands of God very seriously. So they made a bunch of rules about how to keep the commands. Basically, they had a whole second book. Here's the Bible, and here's the way to learn the Bible. Here's the way to apply. Here's the way to live the Bible. And that messed them up because it was like the Bible says that you should rest on the Sabbath day. Now, here's what rest means rest means you should be allowed to take this many steps, and after that, you're not resting anymore. And the Bible says that you're not allowed to bake, but you are allowed to mix a drink, or, you know, like that kind of like, really? All these rules because they were going to make the Bible stronger, they were going to make it clearer. Listen, God was clear enough, He's God. Plus, on top of that, He gave you the Spirit. He said, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. So if you've got the Spirit and you've got the Word of God, you don't need to make it more. Be careful not to go beyond what is written. And So the, the, the author here says, there's two things I want. Please don't refuse me. While I'm alive, more than anything, I want to get this. And he ends by saying, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Now you could say what that means, please don't let me be a liar. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And, and that's certainly, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what this means. What this means is, keep me from living deceived. Keep me from placing my hope, my faith in a lie, and it turning out to blow up in my face. Finding out that what I believed was true is not true always wrecks me. As a matter of fact, whenever you go off the path God has for you, whenever you disobey His commands, whenever you reject His leading, it always comes back to some lie you've believed. Somewhere down underneath of it, it, your actions were produced because you put your faith in a lie instead of the truth. Because like James says, faith produces action. If I believe something true, I live like it's true. So in this example, if you believe that God is trustworthy, if you believe that God has you and God keeps you safe and God watches over you and has a purpose and a plan for your life, and that nothing can harm you while God watches over you until the time that you are to be leaving this earth, that God will walk with you through. then that changes how you look at tomorrow, doesn't it? It changes how you look at the job that maybe is, is hard and people are you know attacking you and maybe trying to undermine you. It changes the way that I look at that. If I have my eyes on my father, if I really believe that, it changes the actions of my soul. It changes my attitudes. It changes my words. It changes my thoughts when I think about my job. If I really believe that, the problem is we say we believe it, but we don't actually believe it. But on the other hand, when I believe something that's a lie, when I believe that more money or a higher title makes me a better, more important person, then I act like it, don't I? I act like it when I see other people's titles and money, and I act like it when I look at my bank account and my title. If I believe that beautiful people or, or good-looking people or athletic people, you know, you're in high school, and, and the, these are the people that are popular because they're good-looking or they're, they have a, a lot of athletic skill, those are the people that are important. If I believe that, then I act like that. I act like that in the people that I want to be connected to, in the way that I measure myself. But if I believe that I'm a creation of God, every single one of us is a unique creation of God, and every one of us has values because we're made in the image of God, then I act like that. So what I believe drives what I do. So what it says here is, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Don't let me get sucked into some deception. Because what I value, what I have hope in, what I desire, reflects what I believe. What you want says something about what you believe. What you're looking for to make your soul be at rest says something about what you believe. What does it say about you? And will you put your trust truly and wholly in the Lord? then he finishes by talking about money. One of the ways that we get deceived is this idea of money. And he says something here that's kind of unique. So it's the second half of verse 8 down to verse 9. It says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. It's a pretty dramatic request. Don't give me more than I need. Don't give me less than I need. Just give me what I need for this day. That's that's not generally what people think. Generally, people think what I need is a little bit more. Not a lot more. Maybe you think you need a lot more, but I need a little bit more. I need more than I have. The answer to my life is that if I had more, I could be okay. Do you know people who think like that? Do you think like that? What I need is a little more time. What I need is a little more talent. What I need is a little more help. What I need is a little more understanding. What I need is a little more money. What I need is a little more. The key to my peaceful, happy, fulfilled life is a little bit more. Other people think and this is kind of a growing trend today in our consumeristic society, what I need is a little less. I need to simplify. I need to get rid of stuff. I need to get rid of the cell phone. I need to pl- unplug and get out and get isolated. It's not as common, but what, the, what he says is both of those are wrong. You could think that if, if I have bills that are, that are in my face that are too big for me to pay, my bank account can't meet all my bills, that the answer is if I had more, then I could be okay. If those bills are stressing me out, it's natural to think if I had more, then I wouldn't stress out then I'd be okay. What he says is no. The problem is not that you don't have enough or that you you have too much. The problem is that you're looking at what you have. And so he says, I hope you picked up on this, what he says is, Lord, I don't want stuff, I want you. I want to know that what I'm getting every single day is coming from your hand. I want to be very aware of my dependence on you. I want to be very aware that today you provided for me again. I want to be in connection and communion with you every single minute of every single day. And I want to see that my life is in your hands. And I know my own tendency to drift. So I know if I have too much, I'll stop thinking that way. And I know if I have too little, I'll complain and my life will be all about getting enough. What I want is something that will just keep me fixated on you. It's not about, is it more spiritual to just live hand to mouth and just week by week? It's, it's about, where is your attention? Because some of us, God's going to bless with more money than we need. But is that where your attention goes, or is your attention still on Him? And because if it's on Him, then you start to ask yourself, well, Lord, why did you give me this? What do you want me to do with it? Right? If you have less, it's not on, man, I, I have less than I need. It's, God, I know you're the provider, and so this is, must be exactly what I need. I don't know how to sort this all out, but I trust you. I'm going to be okay because you have me. In the end, this person's asking God not to give him too much, not to give him too little, but to give him God himself. I want to know, are you so desperate for God to be your hope that you don't want any more or any less than what you need? You don't want anything to get in the way. You don't want anything to trip you up from keeping your hope fully in the Lord. Do you truly Trust the Lord. To say, I don't want any reserves. I don't want anything where my hope could be drawn into something else. I just want you. I just want you. That my soul's health comes from my Heavenly Father. Not from my circumstances. Not from my emotions. Not from people's approval. Not from my list of accomplishments. Not from anything else. But my relationship with you. Is that where you're focused today? Today we're going to sing a song to close that kind of invites you to find that rest in your soul. And I hope that you will find that rest today. So let me just kind of ask you, does your trust for God express itself like we've talked about today? Are you digging in to the Word of God so that you can take refuge in Him? Have you found Him to be your shield? Have you found Him to be your strength? Or have you forgotten that when you choose to give yourself to him, that he will come and meet you in that moment? Are you thankful for daily provision or do you wish for more? Is your soul at unrest? And if it is, it has something to do with what you believe. Today, what I'm inviting you, what the the Proverbs invite you to do is to truly find rest by trusting in the Lord.